Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello, this is going to be a talk from the Dhammapada today, and this chapter is called the Arahant, Arahant, and I'm going to be reading from this chapter and giving my commentary throughout, and this is the Dhammapada as translated by Gil Fransdahl. So, the Arahant, um, that means... It sort of means the enlightened person. And I'm going to get a an official, official definition. So in Sanskrit, the word is arhat, A-R-H-A-T. And in Pali, the word is arahant, A-R-A-H-A-N-T. And so because this is the Dhammapada, this is an old, uh, old, old Buddhist text from the original Pali language, um, it's we just use the word arahant instead of arhat. And sometimes people can get real confused because words are just switched. Um, like, for instance, we're talking about the Dhammapada. We're using Dhamma, the Pali word, not the more familiar Dharma, which is the Sanskrit word. Right? It doesn't matter that much. But Pali was the language the Buddha spoke. Sanskrit is the language that some of the later teachings came forth in. So... Wow, that's not interesting. So, an arhat is, some, or an arhant, is a saintly person. A saintly person. That is, someone who is far along the path. Someone we can learn a lot from is an arahant. Okay? So, the arahant. This is really... Sort of similar to the sage, really. It's where we're trying to go. Uh, the sage is down here, and our haunt is kind of a higher level. So, for someone at the journey's end, freed of sorrow, liberated in all ways, released from all bonds, no fever exists. So, what does that mean? That sort of means, like, we can overcome our problems. We can overcome our problems when we learn how to live in this way. When we practice mindfulness, wisdom, compassion, and equanimity, we learn to put down our bonds and be free from our sorrows. The fever is, when it says no fever exists, I see that as like the way we become obsessed with our problems and it stops us from seeing clearly, you know, sort of like, Oh, the kind of weird, crazy dream you have when you have a fever, sort of like that. Our delusions and our attachments and our emotional baggage, they get in our way. I like to say it's sort of like those old-timey 3D glasses with the blue on one side and the red on the other, where, you know, you put those on, and if you're not looking at a 3D movie, then you just see distorted reality. We're like that. We see through a filter of our opinions, our emotional baggage, our trauma, if we've got trauma, most people do, and that's like a fever, and it shapes how we see the world in a negative way often. The mindful apply themselves. They don't amuse themselves in any abode 
like swans flying, flying from a lake. They abandon home after home. Like the path of birds in the sky, it is hard to trace the path. Of those who do not hoard, who are judicious with their food, and whose field is the freedom of emptiness and signlessness. I'm going to keep going. Like the path of birds in the sky, it is hard to trace the path. Though Of those who have destroyed their toxins, who are unattached to food, and whose field is the freedom of emptiness and signlessness. So that sounds really heavy. We're going to move through the world like birds in the sky. Really? Right? What this means is this. We want to learn how to go through our life in a way where we're not causing chaos all the time. In a way where we're not having a bad impact on the world and just over-consuming and overreacting and making enemies out of everything all the time. That's what we want to learn how to not do. We want to move through the world in such a way that the world is not changed in a negative way by us. That is our intention here. So, like a bird flying through the sky, it's the same as, you know, if you go to an outdoor concert, you want to throw away your trash. You want to be out like a like a bird in the sky leaving no trace, right? That is, that bird in the sky metaphor is used sometimes in Buddhism, and it's just, uh, you see a bird in the sky, there's no tracks because it's flying, right? So it's different than animals on the ground. That's all. And so our attachment to food, our attachment to hoarding things, these are things that get in our way. And when we do these practices and when we strive to live a spiritual life to try to be an arahant, we don't leave so much garbage everywhere all the time. So that's good. We want to leave the world a cleaner place than we found it, if we can, or at least not make the world worse. Okay? So, even the gods cherish those who are without toxins, who have abandoned conceit, and whose senses are calm. Like, Horses well tamed by a charioteer. So what does that mean? It means, don't get caught up in the word gods here. It's just that Buddha, the Buddha was speaking to an audience that definitely thought gods were real. Um, and he said, even the gods are going to like you. If you learn how to be a calm, mindful, wise person, and how to put down your emotional baggage... And calm your senses. The gods are going to like you. But more than that. It says even the gods. And I think that is intentional wording. Lots of people are going to like you. Okay. Lots of people are going to like you. When you don't get caught up in the daily drama of life. That most people get caught up in. Okay. If you really pay attention to the people around you. And if you stop hanging on to your baggage so tightly, and if you try to make this world a better place and you manifest compassion in your life, people like being around that. People like knowing that exists at least. And that's something. That's not to say we should do it to be popular because that's not going to work, but it is to say the people closest to you can tell a difference when you practice meditation versus when you don't. They can tell and they probably like you better when you're practicing meditation because you're more pleasant to be around. 
you're not as self-obsessed, and hopefully you don't lash out as much. So you can be cherished. For a person who, like the earth, is untroubled, who is well-practiced, who is like a pillar of Indra, who is like a lake without mud, there is no more wandering. So, Indra, first of all, what is Indra? Um, Indra is a god that people in that time believed in. He was kind of a, a high god sort of thing, like a king of the gods sort of thing. You could think of Zeus, I guess. And there were pillars outside of cities dedicated to him. So there would be a strong, because it's dedicated to a god, it's important, pillar, a beautiful pillar in front of the city. And we want to be still like a, like a big, beautiful, strong pillar. Okay, sure. Uh, also, like a lake without mud, like the earth, untroubled. No more wandering. What is wandering? Well, by wandering, I interpret that as chasing after things all the time. You know? Chasing after pleasures, chasing after the things we wish for. We sometimes harm ourselves when we're chasing after things. We may buy a car we can't afford, right? We may do very... Um, negative things in pursuit of a potential romantic partner. There's all sorts of things we do. There's all sorts of ways we get ourselves in trouble, right? But if we can learn how to be like a pillar of Indra, then we're not going to chase after things so much. We're not going to chase after things so much. And the truth is, what you find out is when you're not chasing after things, you have a happier life, or at least a more contented one. Calm in mind, speech, and action and released through right understanding, such a person is fully at peace. So if we can just settle down, if we can just settle down and pay attention to the world around us, there's peace there. There's peace there. It's underneath all this stuff we're struggling with. The person who has gone beyond faith, knows the unmade, has severed the link, destroyed the potential for rebirth, and eliminated clinging is the ultimate person. So, um, the unmade is sort of just coming to that understanding that all things are connected. All things are connected and essentially, um, all things exist together and all things are connected. The unmade is sometimes a synonym for enlightenment. So when he say when he says knows the unmade, we're saying knows enlightenment, knows that spiritual condition of the arahant, where we put down all our baggage and we see through all our delusion and we have a sort of sense of peace in life. Sometimes that's called the unmade. I'm not crazy about that translation, but I understand we don't want to use the word nirvana all the time. And so has severed the link means has cut through delusion and then destroy the potential for rebirth, well, that is what was believed in the Buddhist time, was that you go through your life and you uh, generate karma, positive and negative, and it defines a next life. Not that there's a soul or spirit, but some aspect of you and your patterns moves on into a new life after this one.
Uh, I feel we don't have to necessarily take that literally because I feel we can pay attention to our lives and see where we do bad things and it leads to bad outcomes. It happens all the time, right? Where we do the wrong thing and it leads to negative outcomes. So I think we don't necessarily have to think about rebirth at this time in uh, short teachings like this. And illuminated clinging. So liking things, having opinions, that's one thing. And clinging is something else. Clinging is where you're obsessed with your opinion, where you're mad at people for disagreeing. Clinging is where you're, you obsess about losing something you have even though there's no evidence you're going to lose it. That's clinging, and it can really hurt us. In village, in forest, in lowland, in highland, delightful is the place where the Arahant dwells. Delightful are forests where the public does not delight they're the passion-free delight, not seeking sensual pleasure. So, we can make the world a better place wherever we are. Even, we don't have to be an arahant to do that. We can make the world a better place anywhere we are. Uh, one of my friends, uh, he worked in uh, computers, IT, and he came to me and he said, Hey, I really want to feel like I'm making the world a better place, but like, I'm just fixing computers for companies. I'm not, I don't feel like I am. And I said to this person, my friend, I said, well, just show up to work every day and make your workplace a better environment for the people around you. So that's, I mean, that's my simple answer to that. That's something that it feels like anyone can do. Anyone can go try to make their little corner of the world a better place and that don't tell yourself that that doesn't mean anything it does it does every little bit matters and it's through little things that we make the world a better place it's through little things with our love we can save the world you know it's through just little positive change that we can really make a different world and so that very last verse delightful or forests where the public does not delight they're the passion-free delight, not seeking sensual pleasure. You know, if you ever go to the park and nobody's there, that's pretty great. You know, this is the argument for solitude. Like, maybe you don't need to be around people all the time. Maybe you can go to the forest alone, right? Maybe you can meditate instead of going to a party, right? That's what we're talking about here. So, that is it for the chapter called The Arahant. Thank you for take the t taking the time to listen to me. And I hope this talk has been helpful. Thank you for listening and have a good day.